So, John, which character do you see yourself as being in this film? Well, I think if I was going to take a job in this film, I would definitely be the botanist. That seems like a pretty cushy deal. Just water okay, a few sure. flowers. Yeah. Do you not think you're the guy who gets sunburnt? <laughs> oh, very funny. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry and joining me as always is John. Hello. And it was my choice this week, it was Sunshine. It was, and I believe there's a story behind this. Okay, yeah, so I did mention this a little in last episode, but I was introduced to this film through my mum, who seems to introduce all the films that I pick on this. Yeah, there's definitely a theme happening, yeah. <laughs> she's introduced at least three. So. Um, well, she always used to bring films back from the library, okay. she works in the library. And... Uh, well, at one point, I, I don't know if she'd been having like a down week or something, but like it got to a Friday night and she just wanted to get like a really nice film just to sit back and relax with the family and just watch this lovely film. And so she got a film called Sunshine. She thought it'd be all just, you know, like a fairy tale or something. And, you know, we got at home and we watched this film and she must have cried for weeks. This is a, <laughs> this is a horrible film. I mean, is she aware that there's this thing called blurbs? <laughs> You know, that, that text at the back of the thing that kind of describes the plot, right? Maybe. So, so how old were you? Let's see, 2007, probably would have been in the library about a year later, so I would be... 15? 15, oh, that's reasonable, okay. So you weren't like a child watching this. No, I wasn't mentally scared. Mum was. I was going to say, I feel like we should get Fiona on at some point just to kind of explain herself for all of these films <laughs> that she's put you through as a child, but 15's okay. Yeah, it's not too I much. imagine this film was, was it 15 rated? It can't have been an 18, it's not that bad. But nah. It's too scary to be like a PG, but it's mm, not. Definitely. I was terrified by it. In fact, I was still scared by it. Like, normally I do my ironing to films, mm-hmm. but this one I didn't. Turned all the lights off, and I watched it in the living room on my own, and then I had to walk upstairs in the dark... And I was scared that, you know, essentially Freddy Krueger was going to come and get me. Some kind of flame monster was going to stop yeah. you. Who are you? Who am I? At the end of time, a moment will come when just one man remains. Then the moment will pass. I would say that this, for me, was two-thirds of a really great movie. Two-thirds? Which two-thirds? Yeah. The first two-thirds. Really? Yeah. What wrong with the end? Well, the thing for me is, I like the fact that there's no villain, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
So they're going to they're heading towards the sun to fire a nuclear bomb into the sun to reignite the sun because the sun is dying essentially and mm-hmm. save humanity. And mm-hmm. then they're going to go home. They're the second ship that's tried. They're Icarus Two. Yeah. We'll get to the names. And uh, <laughs> and on the way, they pick up a distress beacon from Icarus One, mm-hmm. the first ship that tried to do this, and they decide to go and see if they can get a, sec- a second copy of the weapon that they need to fire into the sun. Yeah. And then it all goes wrong, obviously. But only go- the reason it goes wrong is because of human error, which I thought was really interesting. Yes. It's literally just that one of the guys makes a miscalculation. Yeah. I fucked up. I fucked up. <laughs> you didn't reset the shields to the new angle. Jesus Christ, Drake. I fucked up. My head was full of velocities and fuel calculations and a million different... I forgot! All right? People do shit. They get stressed. And fuck up. I fuck up. Trey. So he makes a human error and then from that it all starts to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you get into all this thing where suddenly they don't have enough fuel to get back so they're essentially now on a suicide mission no, of air to get they back. don't have oxygen to get back mm. and then it becomes this kind of it becomes this discussion of you know what is the priority and what, it's very much one of those what would you do in this situation it's like mm. do individuals matter or does the, the mission matter yeah and there's a lot of kind of philosophical stuff which started off slow but once it got into it, i really enjoyed that and i really appreciated the fact that oh there's not going to be a monster or an alien in this it's mm. just going to be about humans experiencing this situation and reacting to it and mm-hmm. all having their own perspectives because some of them are very pragmatic, some of them are more emotional. Mm-hmm. And you do get yourself thinking, what would I do in that situation? Would I be able to put my own self-preservation instincts at stake and for the good of humanity? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how would you cope with the claustrophobia of it? I thought it was, I found it really thought-provoking, really interesting. And then an hour into the film, the human torch shows up and it just <laughs> becomes like a generic monster movie. And I was like, oh, no, this is no fun. It's, well, it's... If that had been the movie from the start, maybe, but it just, it felt like it became a different movie and a, a much less interesting movie to me. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. It did take a turn for the worse, and what you say was really interesting. Um, now, what did you think of Chris Evans's character in this? Okay, so here's the thing with Chris Evans. I've realised now that he is like Mr. Cellophane to me. Mm-hmm. You know that song from Chicago? I tell you. I know he's famous. Objectively, I know he's a famous person. But I can't ever remember what he looks like. What do you mean? I can never look at him and go, oh, that's Chris Evans. Yeah. So it was only when the credits came up at the end, I was like, oh, Chris Evans was in this movie? Oh, did you not recognise him? No, maybe it's because I've not seen Captain America. I mean, at the start, his hair is something else. Ludicrous, yeah. Yeah, and he cuts that off very quickly. It does make me wonder why why that character even had that haircut to start off with. Also, why did nobody tell Cillian Murphy to cut his hair? His hair's comparably long. He's got this yeah, kind of mid-length did, bob. Kind of yeah, but on. it didn't look stupid. Well, that's really. in the eye of the beholder. I, I would have assumed the haircut was more of a practicality. You need to keep a sensible haircut in space. Mm, yeah. Or were they just telling him he looked stupid? It was just, it was just a fashion intervention. You know? I'm not sure. Because there's two white guys who aren't Cillian Murphy in this film mm-hmm. who are about the same age there's Chris Evans and there's the other one who I don't think is, very, is a famous person but I kept mixing them up it's kind of a character piece but the characters all a lot of them do kind of blend into one they're a bit one dimensional so it is kind yeah, of hard to keep do. track yeah 
It's one of those films where everyone has like one personality trait. Mm-hmm. And then so I think that's why I mixed them up as well because I don't I didn't feel like I got a lot of I don't feel like there was a lot for me to hang Chris Evans on. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so Chris Evans is that guy. All mm-hmm. there was was silly hair, gets angry, is an engineer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's the thing. A lot of the characters are a little bit stock, and because it was a very character really yeah. thing, it could have done with some more interesting people. Mm-hmm. Well, what's Michelle Yeoh's character? It was pretty much just oh plants. She was the botanist. Yeah, I thought she was one of the better ones, but I think just because she had quite a unique role in the film that she was the botanist, and also because I think she's a really good actress, so she can make you interested when she's not. Well, doing she is, but she didn't do anything. She didn't have lots to do, but she was responsible for some of my favourite scenes in the film. Sometimes. Well, this is nothing to be fair most for the fact that this film is beautiful to look at mm. but the scene where the oxygen what's it what do they call it the garden the garden the oxygen garden mm. the scene where the oxygen garden is on fire and she runs to it and she wants mm-hmm. she's trying to get in mm-hmm. and then it's just all ablaze but she is like in, in a corridor that's yeah just surrounded by surrounded yeah. by flip. that shot was beautiful yeah was. stunning stunning cinematography mm-hmm. this film really reminded me of arrival actually yeah it put me in mind of arrival a lot because it did have that kind of character driven element to it people being ultra smart yeah, and that's what the first two thirds of it were Arrival, and then it got silly where Arrival didn't. Arrival kind of stayed with that and didn't mm. get silly. This one I thought got a bit silly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and also because it was a film that used its budget very well. Mm. You know, I remember when we both got out of Arrival, we were both like, that film it didn't cost 300 million to make, but it cost like 80 million, 40. Mm-hmm. I think it cost 40 million. I think it was a very cheap film. Yeah. But they used that budget beautifully. Mm-hmm. It didn't go CGI overload. Yeah. And what they did use, they used very well. And I think this film did that too. I think mm-hmm. there were some really beautiful shots in this because they didn't go overboard with it. I think Danny Boyle's a really great visual director sometimes. Like he's mm-hmm. very good at creating memorable mm-hmm. visuals. So. Yeah. Um, do you want to do a drinking games? Because uh, my next points come based off my drinking games. Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, drink whenever the computer could have fixed anything that's going wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I had one for the ship as well, actually. For the computer as well. So we'll okay. combine these. So my one was... Drink every time the computer kind of sounds like a porn star. <laughs> <laughs> did you pick up on this? I did, actually, yes. Yeah, I did. That, that computer sounds super sexy. Like, yeah. she's trying to trying to turn some people on. She had this weirdly breathy delivery, like, yeah. yes, Harvey. Yeah, <laughs> really weird. Hey, Chris. Yes, Dr. Searle. Yes, Carson. Yes, Harvey. Yes, Cassie. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was like a sentient computer or was it more of a, like a... Like I, the ship's computer from Star Trek, where it's just saying... Because it felt like it was having conversations at the time, but then it didn't quite... Well, yeah, I got the idea that it was supposed to be a sort of sentient, like, mm. maybe it's at least semi-artificial, semi-artificial yeah. intelligent. Yeah, it definitely had a kind of a hair vibe, didn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah, it did. It was... We'll go on to my next thing, which okay. is uh, drink whenever listening to the computer would have avoided anything going wrong. When did they not listen to the computer? Well, initially when that first guy fucks up, it's because he turns the computer off to do this advanced thing or whatever. Oh, I did wonder. So and they, then fucks up. Did they explain that then? I must have missed that because that was one that I was puzzled by because... Yeah, he, he, he triple-tracked all his calculations and mm-hmm. he had to turn the automatic... Yeah, autopilot off so that he could do what he needed to do and he just forgot to do one thing. Okay. And so fucked up. Something that the computer wouldn't have forgotten. Yeah, because that was the thing that got me because as I say, I liked that as a plot device in the sense that I really liked that it was a human error mm. as i say it wasn't some it wasn't an alien it wasn't some scheming tracer yeah. it was just he made a mistake and from that everything went wrong from mm-hmm. there and all spelled from that one mistake yeah but as much as i appreciated that at the same time i kind of thought surely there's like an algorithm that tells you to check those well things. that's what i was thinking i'm comparing this a little bit to interstellar now remember that bit where 
uh, Matt Damon blows up half the ship. Yes. Because he can't dock it properly. Mm-hmm. And then Matthew McConaughey has to do this amazing thing where he spins the ship and just matches it, matches it just right. And, you know, he, he can't do it. He can't do it. And then he does it in the end and they all nearly die doing it. And it's really difficult. Well, remember the bit in this film where they dock with the with Icarus 1? Mm-hmm. It's like a really complex manoeuvre that they do. Yeah. And the computer just does it automatically and it's not a problem. And, oh, it's done. Yeah. So the computer is clearly very advanced, can do anything. Why Why could it not do whatever it was this guy was doing? Yeah. I, I think this film does have some big gaping plot holes that kind of it jumps over to get mm. to where it needs to be. And that was one for me. Yeah. But I, I, was, I was kind of torn because, like I said, I liked it as an idea that it was just a human mistake. But mm-hmm. yeah, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I was also thinking, why, why would even put people on that ship? Why not just make it automated? Yeah, just send it all automatic. What's going to go wrong? Yeah, true. Well, we had that same thing with Interstellar, didn't we? Like, mm. just send the talky toaster. Yeah. <laughs> just always send a robot. Yeah. But reasons that that, that wouldn't... There'll be no film. Yeah. There'll be no film that was just yeah, doing, very doing, very doing what it needed to do. Another one. Drink every time Cillian Murphy is put in really unnecessary danger. Yes. Because they keep going on about how he's the only one who is genuinely essential. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and yet every time there's a dangerous mission, he's the one doing it. I mean, it's because he's the main character and it... Well, actually, I was about to say because there wouldn't have been a film without it. But no, then maybe some of the other characters would have had something to do. Yeah, because he was the only one who had a personality because mm. he had the most screen time, really. Yeah. They could have balanced that out better. And yeah, so it's like, we need two people to go outside on and fix the shield which we've never done before. We've only ever done it in simulation. Mm-hmm. So we're going to send the captain of the ship yeah. and the one guy who, who, if he dies, this whole thing is not going to happen. <laughs> and then again, when they find Icarus 1, we're going to send a away team to investigate this, where something's gone wrong. The entire crew is dead. So there's a good chance... Including the captain, the number two officer. Yeah. There's a good chance that there's something dangerous on this other ship. Yeah. So let, again, let's send the send him. Let's just leave. Forget the botanist. Like, why not send the botanist? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. At no point did they think. What what happened on that ship? Yeah. They were just like, yeah, let's just go. There was a bit of an unfortunate thing as well, where they literally sent all the boys onto the other ship and left the two girls back on their own ship. It was like, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't understand why. Somebody if it was just needs to tend to the flowers. But at this point, the botanist has nothing but free time. Like all <laughs> of the plants are gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She could have gone, because then there's the, the scene where the other guy goes onto the other ship mm-hmm. and finds the, the whole environment where the, you know, where all, mm. all the plants have overgrown over seven years. Yeah. And like, that's prime botanist. Mm-hmm. You know, she could have taken some cuttings. Mm. You know, they just leave her behind to have girl talk with Rose Byrne. Like, yeah. I just thought it was funny how Silly Murphy is constantly being put into the most danger, even though he's the most important one. Yeah. Also, why well, was there only one physicist? Yeah, that was my thing. They really could have done with a backup physicist. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yes, a lot of the jobs I found questionable. Mm-hmm. All the jobs made sense, but it was like, there was no sense that they'd lost anyone. No, but they really should all be able to do everything. Yeah, they've been, they've been floating for seven years. A PhD takes seven years. Mm. He could have trained the botanist to also be a physicist. or you know, or yeah. one of... It doesn't even need to be a physicist, just know exactly what to do in every occurrence of getting this thing to the, to the sun. Yeah, there was no sense that any of them had, like, skill shared at any point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drink whenever you know what exactly is about to happen. Yeah, I think I might have done a similar one, which is drink for obvious character death foreshadowing. Yeah. Is that what you meant? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Like every character who dies, you know how they're going to die in the first half hour of the film mm-hmm. because it's like you see Chris Evans reach into the water, the, mm-hmm. the liquid nitrogen thing, mm-hmm. and he pulls his hand out and it's like fro- frozen solid. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so that's clearly how he's going to b- yeah. like bite it. And then Botanist obviously loves her flowers, so you know her death is going to be flower yeah. related and. Obviously, tan guy. That's really kind of. <laughs> he's clearly going to go somehow in the mm. in, get burnt to a crisp. Well, his was more of a deliberate thing. 
Yeah, yeah. Similarly, what I had was drink every time this movie really glamorizes immolation. What do you mean? Immolation is when you get burnt to a crisp. Oh, right. Like, they make it look really like... Yeah. It's like a spiritual experience to be burned alive. Every character is just waiting to be burnt alive. Yeah. And actually, that's one, probably one of the most horrifying ways to die. Like, yes, it is. And I feel like they didn't touch on it enough to make us understand what they were trying to convey. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think the idea was that the sun, because this, everything they're doing is built around the sun, and as they get closer to the sun, maybe mm-hmm. the sun is driving them a little bit mad. And it's, mm-hmm. I guess the end scene with Cillian Murphy, with the way we, it's slowed down to like a very slow scene, but I guess mm-hmm. in real time it would happen in a matter of seconds. No, it would be even less than that. Yeah, it'd be a split second. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would be the only mercy that hopefully you would die quickly, or he would die quickly, but... Yeah, being burnt alive is not an ideal way to go. I did find it quite funny how when they were in, they're in these ridiculous suits that are supposed to obviously block out all the heat, mm-hmm. and they're there just battling what must be thousands of degrees temperature, mm-hmm. and they've just got a light sweat on. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a touch of perspiration, <laughs> yeah. like like, a, like a, a little gentle jog up an yeah. inclined hill. Yeah, <laughs> like if, if heat's going to get through that, that suit, a shit ton of heat is going to get through that suit. Yeah. <laughs> what was your favourite or most horrifying death? Because there were some really bleak, grim ones in this film. People died in really horrible ways, in uniquely horrifying ways, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, my mum was the guy who floated off into space. Yes, same. That really freaked me out. Mm. When he like breaks, shatters into a thousand pieces. Like, mm-hmm. Ugh, yeah, that really freaked me out. Didn't like that at all. Yeah, that's it. I liked it when they died from accidents, and when it was just a flamey guy like going around and stabbing people. Mm. It was kind of less interesting. I liked the character. He only got one person there. He kills. Yeah, he only kills Michelle Yeoh, doesn't he? The mm. botanist, botanist. He does. I guess. Yeah. I also liked the bit when. Chris Evans goes to kill that guy, pulls out a drawer where each knife has its own place and there's two missing. Yeah. And he doesn't think about that. No. He just, oh, there's two missing. I'll just grab another one. Oh, look, he killed himself. Oh, wonder where that other one is. <laughs> I will say this felt very Star Trekky to me. Yeah. It definitely got a Star Trekky vibe, which I quite liked. Again, this kind of, these are the voyages. Yeah. <laughs> Up until it became a horror movie. Yeah, probably the one. Yeah. Died one after the other. Mm-hmm. We've kind of criticised it a lot, but I have to say, I thought this was a great oh, film. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've kind of nitpicked a lot with this one, which but Ah, it's always, always good fun. Yeah, but the first two thirds of this, I thought, were like really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, exposition heavy, but really clever and interesting. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it kind of lost it a bit for me, but mm-hmm. still on the whole. Because this film, like, it was well-reviewed, but it didn't make a lot of money. It kind of bombed. Yeah. I've not really seen it anywhere apart from the library I guess yeah I think this film had a bit of an identity crisis where it's not like an alien style action sci-fi mm-hmm. film so it didn't market itself as that I think they didn't really figure out how to explain to people what it was and hence nobody really went to see it which is yeah. a shame because it's worth watching it's a mm. very good film should yeah. we do our alternative readings sure Sunshine watch as Cillian Murphy explains to everyone why they should all die first <laughs> yeah that's true he did didn't he he left a lot of people behind yeah he did I'm going to get in suit. Well, he was the most important one. Yeah. Sunshine, a boring British version of Alien. Oh, man, that is really true. It's harsh. Yeah. It's harsh. I actually did enjoy the film. But it is basically Alien, kind of dry British version. Yeah. Like Alien minus the, you know, Sigourney Weaver. And the Alien. And the Alien, yeah. Mm. Well, till the end, sort of. Mm. Sunshine, the eight smartest people in the world do the job a supercomputer should be doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Very good. (laughs) Sunshine, the only thing to fear is fear itself. And scary fire worshippers. <laughs> Sunshine. Captain America turns computer on and off again and freezes at the end. Basically, his whole thing is just control alt delete, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. He just dies because there's no control alt delete on that computer. Like, Hello, IT. <laughs> if you turned it off and on again. <laughs> I would have loved that. There's like a tech support line. <laughs> and my last one is Sunshine. Tan addicts in space. <laughs> nice. Good. Yes. Sunshine. 
Yet another film set in space where the gravity just makes no sense. The gravity doesn't make any sense, does Not it? Not at all. Like, <laughs> for one thing, how do they have artificial gravity? Most films like this tend to explain it in some way, like mm-hmm. the ship's spinning or something. Yeah. And then what was going on at the end when when actually flying into the sun and they're on this cube that's just spinning around super fast and they're just walking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did like it when they kind of did the whole thing where they explained how the suit was super heavy and Silly Murphy's like genuinely struggling to walk. Oh that yeah, that, yeah, that was good. That was good. Although it felt inconsistent, but mm. but I like that they addressed it, that they, sh- those, they would be super heavy. Mm-hmm. Although he had just been slashed in the stomach as well, so the fact that he could do anything. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. At that point, they should have just turned this artificial gravity off. Yeah, that would have worked. Yeah, just floated everywhere. Mm-hmm. Are we all done? Should we get to some sequels? Yeah, you're first, aren't you? Okay. So I've done a sequel. It's called Sunshine 2 Red Giant. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of based on... There's a trope in these kind of films that I always find quite interesting, that always make me think. Yeah. In that it's quite common where they'll have a villainous character who's just been, like, waiting around for this thing to happen. Yeah. And like so in this case, this is this pinbacker guy. He's the, he's the captain of Icarus 1, mm-hmm. which we never talked about ridiculous names for the ships. Okay, so what was your thing with Icarus? Because you know, do you know the story of Icarus? Yeah, he flew too close to the sun, and it, it was just like oh, really? It was like Spielberg levels of really heavy-handed symbolism. Yeah, like, it was, wasn't it? Flew, well, if you're going to mount a, a mission to the sun, you're not going to call Name it after Icarus. a successful story. Yeah, not a, not one that is the then, definition of a failure of what you're trying to do. Yeah, <laughs> it was like you know you're tempting fate with that one. Yeah. Did it twice as well. Exactly. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> second time lucky. Yes. <laughs> so the first Icarus. Something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. It's never quite clear. Mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to think he went nuts and killed the rest of the crew, maybe? Yeah. But anyway, so he... And he's played by Mark Strong mm. from Kingsman and Kick-Ass and lots of other movies. Mm. So, and he is basically a madman who is horribly burnt and scarred. And he's just kind of st- sit- sitting around waiting on Icarus 1 because mm-hmm. there's enough oxygen for one person to last seven years. It's like They specifically say he's been there for like six or seven years. Mm-hmm. So he's waiting around and then they obviously investigate the ship and then he goes nuts and somehow gets from one ship to the other, mm-hmm. never explained, and then goes mad and starts killing people. Yes. This is kind of is quite a common trope where they have like this, the, the insane person who's been like alone for this whole time. I, I always find myself thinking, what were you doing like on the the interim days, on just the days in between? Mm. So Seven years just by, oh, you would go mad. Yeah, but once you've gone mad, then what? Just run, running around the ship going, I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm mad. I mean, maybe, or maybe you just sit in a corner just doing nothing. Gently run for seven years. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Well, maybe, well, this is what I started thinking about. Mm. I was like, well, what would that look like? So, and I also wanted to do a bit of an origin story. Spoiler alert, they all die at the end of this film. Mm-hmm. So, the fact that there's not really much sequel to do. No. But we'll see if you've gone there or not. So, I wanted to do a little bit of origin story as well. So, I thought this film could open with the crew of Icarus 1 in roughly the same kind of time frame of their mission as Icarus 2 right in the mm-hmm. start of this film so they're kind of really close they've been on this journey for seven years it's kind of a diverse group of people all with individual jobs mm-hmm. uh, and they're reaching the end of their mission and they're looking forward to finishing it and going home mm. and so I was thinking who? so obviously we've got the captain's going to be Pimbacker mm-hmm. I like to think about casting so that's Mark Strong Yeah, keep him uh, and then we've got a whole bunch of other roles to fill so who would you like to see in a, in, in like a space movie unless you've covered similar ground but if not who would you like to see in a, um, on, a sh- on this kind of ship I feel like it needs to be um, a crew of people who have already been together in something else okay yeah, that's a good idea like the cast of something the cast of Les Mis oh okay the film Les Mis yeah. so like Russell Crowe and Anne Hathaway Anne Hathaway done it before I guess She's Hugh, Jack- Hugh Jackman yeah Eddie Redmayne yeah. yeah okay so who'd be who so if one of those would be the physicist and the, who's Ocelia Murphy Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. He's mm. 
They kind of look the same, look alike, don't they? No. They do a little bit. Not, not identical, <laughs> but they've both got like very distinctive. Flat disagreement. Okay. No. I, I think they have similarities. It's the lips. It's all in the lips, I think. Sure. Okay, so he can be Eddie Redmayne can be our physicist. Mm. Pilot, the Rose Byrne character. Pilot. Um, who else was in Les Mis? Anne Hathaway and... Um, oh, Anne Hathaway then. Anne Hathaway, yeah. the pilot, yeah. That makes sense. Then we've got the, the botanist. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, okay. Yeah, I can see, I can see him tending his flowers. Mm-hmm. And then we've got the communications officer, which is the guy who freezes to death. Uh, I'll take Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, okay, cool. We're running out of people. We are running out of people. Well, I thought Russell Crowe would be good to play the tan addict, the counsellor. Okay, yeah, sure. I can imagine him in the sunglasses just like, burn me, you fucker. Like, yeah. <laughs> Bring it on! Yeah. That was my Russell Crowe impersonation. Mm-hmm. Dead yeah. on. So yeah, I think Russell Crowe can play that role. And so the Chris Evans role could be... I think we haven't got out of Lemis, people. There's not many people. Oh, Ali G's in it. Sasha Baron Cohen, maybe? He's in it. <laughs> Ali G. Ali G, yeah. <laughs> and then I feel like the other... The Navigator. They never really miss character. Well, there's Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, actually. I was about to say. And there's also that girl from Mamma Mia. She played the love interest of Eddie Redmayne. Let's go Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah, okay, cool. Anyway, okay. Is so she going to be Helena Bonham about? Can she do anything else? I like the fact that that's, that's a verb now. Yeah. Helena Bonhaming about. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I want to see that. I want not see, that's be a TV show. Yeah. I want, a reality <laughs> show. I want Helena Bonham Carter to get a reality TV show. He takes up all kinds of different jobs in a wacky upper class British style. Yeah. And it's just Helena Bonham Cartering about. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so cast of Lamers would work. Yeah. I kind of thought, I didn't cast them all, but I thought the botanist could be Aziz Ansari. Oh, yeah. I just like the idea of him in space. Yes. And I like the idea of his character from Parks and Rec mm-hmm. being kind of really. That excites me about plants. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, these shrubs, man. <laughs> That's my Aziz Ansari. Desserts are what I call desserts. Tray trays are entrees. I call sandwiches Sammy's, Sandoozles, or Adam Sandler's. Air conditioners are cool blasters with a Z. I don't know where that came from. I call cakes big old cookies. I call noodles long ass rice. Fried chicken is fry fry chicky chick. Chicken parm is chicky chicky parm parm. Chicken cacciatore, chicky catch. I call eggs. Pre-birds or future birds. Root beer is super water. Tortillas are bean blankies. And I call forks food rakes. The most important role for this, though, is the voice, voice, of, the computer. voice of the computer. Judy Dench. Ooh, that'd be good. Give it a bit of uh, gravitas. Mm. I went in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And I thought the voice of the ship could be Matthew Perry. <laughs> <laughs> sure. In full like Chandler. Yeah. <laughs> Could you be any more fucked? Yeah. <laughs> Could there be any less oxygen on this ship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that in Friends, he doesn't actually say that. Is it one of in those? The, in the entire 10 seasons, he never has a sentence which is, could I be any? Really? Yeah. He doesn't once say it. Oh, is it just one of those weird... It's one of the, this is one of those things that everybody just imitates him saying that. Never knew that. Interesting. Mm. So anyway, so that's we've got our ragtag bunch of crew, essentially. Mm-hmm. Possibly the cast of Les Mis, possibly Aziz Ansari, Matthew Perry and Judy Dench. Mm-hmm. Whatever works. Mm, yeah. We open with them celebrating the captain's birthday. Mm. This is Mark Strong, Pinbacker, mm-hmm. who at this point is sane. Yeah. And not covered in scarring. And oh, so he's the captain? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was the captain. I should have said that. Okay, sure. In my I'll... version, he's the captain, yeah. So well, did, they, did they ever work out who he was? Yeah, this, there's a bit where Silly Murphy goes, Dear God, Pinbacker. Because oh, so, right. yeah. there's a brief video oh, of him yeah, before yeah, yeah. he... Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. Well, during it looked yeah. like... Anyway, we've got yeah. way off topic. <laughs> so it's the captain's birthday, Pinbacker's mm-hmm. birthday. And to celebrate, the crew are dipping into their very strictly rationed meat supply and they're having a curry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very nice. 
Unfortunately, due to the fact that um, apparently a cook isn't one of the full-time roles on this ship, there was no sense that there was a full-time chef on board. Fair. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's something they just have to come up with. Um, I mean, given the, the the nature of all their roles, you know, the physicist, the doctor, the botanist, the pilot, the engineer, I think cook is, is quite a low-down one. Everybody can boil pasta. True, true, true. Yeah. Well, so there's no cook. But in my vision, that's where everything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. If there'd only been a good cook, none of this would have happened. <laughs> because... Uh, because there's no full-time cook, mm. uh, it's up to the botanist to do it. Right. So the botanist, played by Aziz Ansari, mm-hmm. uh, cooks up a, a nice curry for the group, mm-hmm. but he ends up undercooking the chicken. Right. Causing some major cases of what would we call in England deli belly. <laughs> <laughs> do we? Have you ever heard that before? Deli don't, belly? Don't eat chicken. Oh, of course you don't know. Well, and it, it's not specifically chicken related. It's just if you have a bad curry and you oh, get like, sure. you know, the squids. Okay. Um, so basically, everyone on the ship gets food poisoning, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they're all, like, vomiting and sweating, etc. Mm-hmm. But the next day, the ship is approaching an angle where they're going to be exposed to a major solar flare. Mm-hmm. And they've been planning this for weeks, that they're going to, when this flare happens, they're going to all gather together and watch it, because it's this, like, once-in-a-lifetime thing that no human being has ever seen before, will ever see again, mm-hmm. in theory. So even though the crew is struggling through this, like, residual food poisoning from the night before, mm-hmm. the captain decides to go ahead with the viewing and gathers everyone together onto the viewing deck and they're all perfectly safe even though it's it's a massive silver but as long as the shields are properly calibrated mm. there's no danger yeah and it's the captain's job to make sure that the shields are calibrated mm-hmm. unfortunately as he's doing this you see that he's very red and sweaty mm-hmm. which is foreshadowing mm-hmm. <laughs> because that bad chicken is still really repeating on him mm. so just as he's trying he's really trying to focus on keying in the right shield codes mm. but then he just has to run- keep running to the bathroom mm-hmm. to like void his bowels yeah so anyway, the crew gathers on the observation deck for this solar flare, and just as the moment approaches, and they're all sat there, the captain, he feels some a deep rumbling in the pit of his stomach, mm-hmm. and he's try, he tries to hold it back, but sometimes you just can't. Mm-hmm. So he's like, sorry guys, I'm, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. So he legs out and runs out to, you know, void his bowels. Mm-hmm. And so then, and then I think we should have just a nice, long, beautifully shot Danny Bowlstein style scene of just Mark Strong on a toilet, just dealing with explosive diarrhea. Just... <laughs> I thought you were going to say, just watching this amazing solar flare, this amazing computer effect that somebody's put with, you know, this this, this great cast of Lamez or whatever. Just watching it, just to the sound of Mark Strong on the toilet. Well, that might work, but no, no, I think it has to be him on the toilet, not seeing any of it. Sure. Lamez, I should have made this a musical. Yes. This still would work as a musical. Yes, it would. Didn't go there, but never mind. Mm. Uh, so anyway, so he's on the toilet for like 20 minutes, and then eventually he manages to get off. And returns to the observation deck, very sweaty, obviously, mm-hmm. where he finds the charred remains of the rest of the crew, because <laughs> he has actually miscalculated the calibration, mm-hmm. and the crew gathered together to watch the mm-hmm. solar flare, and it just immolated them, and burned mm-hmm. them all to a crisp, and they're all dead. Mm-hmm. So he's like, shit. And then that's kind of it, because now he's just one, he's obviously just now one man, one man can't pilot a ship. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it was, the ship is the size of Minnesota or something, so mm-hmm. it's like ridiculously big. Mm-hmm. Can't pilot the ship on his own, so he's just kind of stuck drifting there. And then the years pass, and I feel like his guilt over what happened and the constant presence of this magnificent son that is taunting him because he can't complete the mission anymore Mm -hmm. causes him to kind of go insane and start believing he's some kind of sun god. Mm -hmm. And I think it should just become some kind of Red Dwarf-style situation comedy where, you know, in Red Dwarf, it's like Lister, this one man on this giant ship. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. It's just him wandering around the ship. Is the computer still active? Yeah, that's it. He's, the only person he has to talk <clears> to <throat> is Matthew Perrybot. Okay. So that, that I think Matthew Perry would make a really good rimmer. 
I think Matthew Perry would drive him insane. Well, that's it. I'm imagining like a Chandler, a Chandler voice, like a mm. Chandler computer. Mm-hmm. So it is essentially Rimmer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they ever made an American version of Red Dwarf. If they did, obviously didn't take. But... They did. Um, who did they have in it? They had Crichton in it. Okay. As in Robert Llewellyn was... Oh, he played himself? Yeah, he played Crichton. To, obviously, because it is a very, very British show, it did not work. Can you remember who played Chandler? Who played... Um, can, you, can, you remember, <laughs> can you remember who played Rimmer? Uh, no, I can't. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, but I think Matthew Perry would make a good Rimmer. Mm. I think he's got a similar kind of Chris Barry-ish kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. I think I like the idea of just like a sitcom kind of, of just this mad guilt-ridden captain just wandering around this giant ship with only a Matthew Perry computer to talk to. Yeah. Or maybe it's like an art house movie where we just see a long dialogue-free sequence of this charred captain wandering around in his underpants, making toast, brushing his teeth, having a wank. The point of this is I like the idea of seeing the guy just doing everyday stuff, like the stuff that you don't see when like he's being like crazy. Sounds thrilling, John. It's, I'm not saying it'd be an interesting film, but <laughs> it'll be making a point. Pinback is like the equivalent of Searle in the Icarus 2 cast, anyway, but he's like the sun worshipper. Mm. So I feel like, like Searle, he becomes addicted to tanning, mm-hmm. or addicted to looking into the sun. Mm-hmm. I interpret it that's just extreme tanning. But ultimately, unfortunately, due to a freak accident, he ends up losing all of the ship's contingent of moisturiser. Can I just say, what freak accident? Just tell me. I don't know, maybe he's just doing like... Um, What's the word I'm saying? Inventory. Yeah, maybe he's like doing inventory and he accidentally like fires all of the moisturizer out of the airlock. <laughs> no. Okay, whatever. That's, that's the same. It happens, it happens. Yeah. So suddenly the ship's all out of he moisturizer. He was sleepwalking. Or... Yeah. It's a comedy. He's you know? hallucinating. He spent so much time by himself. Something. It could have happened to Lister. If it could happen to Lister, it could happen to him. He hasn't slept for weeks because he's been staring at the sun. Yeah, there we go. Mm. And he just, yeah. One thing leads to another. Yeah. All the all the E forty five is just fired out into the atmosphere. <laughs> Hence his charred and blotchy appearance when he reappears on mm-hmm. Icarus two later on. That's why, because he just there's no moisturizer. And you know, seven years mm-hmm. and a lot of tanning, you know. Mm-hmm. He looked pretty rough. Yeah. I also think because he's obviously gonna be very isolated apart from Matthew, only Matthew Perry to talk to. Mm. So I think there should be a scene where he picks up a distress call from a fellow astronaut mm-hmm. who, as it turns out, is Sandra Bullock from Gravity. Hmm. Because if that movie Gravity taught us anything, it's that space is really, really small. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so he, on, his, on his way to the sun, he meets up with Sandra Bullock, who is just in Earth, Earth, Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. Maybe at one point he's looking out of one of the windows and he just sees like George Clooney float by. Yeah. Like, well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he picks up a distress call from Sandra Bullock from Gravity. Mm-hmm. But at this point, he's gone completely doolally. Mm. So all he does is, instead of talking to her, all he does is make dog noises down the line. <laughs> Yeah. Which turns out to be exactly what she needs. Yes. So, yeah. Worked well for her. Mm-hmm. Heading gun. Make your dogs bark again for me, would you please? You dogs. Dogs, you know. Woof woof. Dogs. Oh. 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 Oh, woof woof. Oh, woo woof. Oh, oh, woo woof. Oh, oh, I'm dying again. So, yeah, so that's so we're gonna have a bit of that for a while, as I say, just him being mad on his own on a ship. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, the crew of Icarus 2 is gonna show up. Mm-hmm. And uh, did they ever establish how he did get on board? Yeah, he just snuck in through the airlock. They weren't expecting anybody to be alive on that ship. 
I can't. So why didn't they go back on the airlock? Because he sabotaged it. Oh, so he and so and so and so it blew up essentially. Oh, okay, I see. So he so they we don't, board, we, don't we don't know how he sabotaged it. He did. So they board his ship. He goes through the airlock onto the onto Icarus mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. and sabotages the airlock on his way out. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. So he did, he does that. Yeah. And then maybe we'll just see the last twenty minutes of the film of the original film, but from his perspective. But really. Because he's insane, they, he thinks they're all scary son villains. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's so aggressive towards them. And he just starts killing them all because he thinks they're crazy. Mm-hmm. And obviously, actually, all he's doing is looking for some desperate, just looking for some E45, just to. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody will help him because they're all scared of him because he's blotchy and terrifying. Yes. Yeah, so this tragic misunderstanding leads to the events at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And like the original, in the end, the, the movie ends with the bomb going into the sun exploding and everybody dies it's a happily ever after happily ever after yeah. Sydney can have its sun back mm-hmm. yeah okay cool yeah what was that called again Sunshine 2 Red Giant lovely yes as in Red Dwarf Red Giant because Red Giant is the state that the, of a sun that is dying which it is uh, in this film so okay and also it sounded like Red Dwarf so yes true mm-hmm. so that's mine lovely good work good work mm-hmm. uh, okay well mine uh, I'm not going to tell you the title just yet oh okay um, that will come in is it Star Wars no. Okay. So we open with a title card. The sun is dying. In a final attempt to reignite the sun and save the planet, Starship Command send their best space cadet and his team to detonate a nuclear warhead at the sun's surface. Just let me know when you, when, when you guess what this is. So is this a remake? Uh, yeah. Okay. You say Starfleet Command, so uh, is this Star Trek? No. The screen is black, and all we hear is Tim Allen's voice coming on going T-5, 4, main engine at night, 2... One, take off. Is this Galaxy Quest? Nope. Oh, it's Buzz Lightyear. There we go. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so then we see a shot a shot of the cockpit of a rocket taken off from its launch pad. The whole gang's there. We've got Woody. We've got Slink, Ham, <laughs> Jesse, Bullseye, Rex, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Yeah, Aww. the whole gang's there. Oh, good. Everybody's screaming with excitement, apart from Rex, who's screaming with fear. Mm-hmm. Well, he would be. Buzz shouts back, watch out for the pressure change. At, at, at which point, Ham's cork bursts out and coins fly everywhere. Mm. Nobody look! Nobody <laughs> look! Uh, all right, nobody look till I get my cork back in. Are you going to do a Ham impersonation? No. Oh. There's too many characters for me to do impersonations, and I've not done the research. Okay, fine. You've watched those films enough time. Yes, but I can't do American accents. Okay. The rocket makes it into the atmosphere. No problem. And Buzz shouts back. You can all take your helmets off now. They're pretty much all spread helmets, not like suits, just... Yeah. Of course, yeah. The toys, it's fine. How does Mr. Potato Head get a helmet on? I don't he's, know. He's all just in one shape. Like... Yeah, I know. It's sort of going boop. Okay. <laughs> just like a hat. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so everybody takes their helmets off, lets them float about a bit. Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head's eyes, ears, noses, mouth, everything just sort of come out and just float everywhere. No. And they make their way towards this massive ship, which is in orbit, which is the exact same ship from Sunshine. What are they in? Uh, they're just in a rocket at this point. Oh, so they're just heading get, just getting, yeah. to board the Icarus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which is also Icarus 2. Okay. Approaching Doc, and Doc reaches out to, to the front of their ship, and there's four clamps that come down on it. In the background, we hear three voices going, Ooh, the claw. <laughs> Who could that be? Um, and then we get our title, Sunshine, A Toy Story. Oh, okay. I like it. I like it. Uh, and then we get the title card saying, Sometime later, two days from the sun. And the siren's going off. And we see, we uh, start off with Buzz running through the ship, shouting into his watch, Bridge! Who's on the bridge? We hear Rex 
uh, reply, saying, Ah, I was just trying to find a popcorn maker and I pressed the wrong button, but my arms weren't long enough to reach the undo button. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, you almost had it. I'm never going to defeat Zerd. Sure you will, Rex. In fact, you're a better buzz than I am. But look at my little arms. I can't press the fire button and jump at the same time. So are these are the Toy Story characters all replicating a specific character from Sunshine, or are they just like a general gang? Just a general gang. Oh, okay. Or if they were to replicate the crew, who would be who? Okay, so I feel like Rex should be the captain. So, well, I, I, the I pilot, sorry, the pilot. So, some of them are replicating a little bit. So Woody is going to be Cillian Murphy's character. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, he's going to be sort of the engineer, whereas Buzz, Buzz is going to be the captain. Buzz is the captain, yeah. Yeah. I think Rex is the pilot. Rex is the pilot, okay. Ham is the guy in the sunshine room. Yeah, definitely. I can certainly see because he really rocks shades very yeah. well. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so who's left? There's Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Yes, not really sure what they're doing. And maybe Mr. Potato Head is the navigator. Sure. Because I think he gets stressed. I can see him having a stress meltdown when he gets mm-hmm. the calculation wrong. And Mrs. Potato Head can be the botanist, maybe? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, sure. Um, I reckon Slink could be like the engineer. The Chris it? Evans character? Yeah. Yeah, sure. All right, we've got a gang? I guess, yeah. Although... Woody and Buzz are the ones who have the rivalry. So maybe Woody should be the engineer, but then that would make the navigator. Oh, no, 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 Woody should definitely be Cillian Murphy. That means yeah. that Buzz Lightyear's got to be the engineer. Okay. I so, guess. So that means, I don't know if Slinky's a good captain, though. Mr. Potato Head's a good captain. True, okay. Yeah. Be, who, who we got? So Slinky can be the communications officer, then. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense, because that's kind of a nothing character. All right, great. Fine, great. Uh, <laughs> we'll forget all of those, but yeah. Yeah, so where were we? Oh yeah, so Buzzer just arrived on a bridge and he immediately runs out of controls and you know, presses the undo button, mm-hmm. uh, which Rex can't reach. <laughs> he's, he's got short arms, he's only a yeah, T-Rex. I know. Uh, he's essentially just along for the ride. We didn't find a role for him. He was the pilot, I said. Was he? Oh. But right. I like the idea that, yeah, he's the, the pilot. The pilot can't reach all the controls. Yeah, I think that's really, yeah, inherent, <laughs> it's inherently funny. So. Yeah. And so everyone else arrives and they're like, what happened? And uh, I think Cam or somebody says, well, it looks like somebody left Spacosaurus to his own devices again. <laughs> Now, Ham, this wasn't Rex's fault. That is where the popcorn maker is normally kept. Who moved the popcorn machine? Who moved it? That was Woody. Uh, and uh, we've, got, we've got Mr. Potato Head just whistling suspiciously. Okay. <laughs> Could be anyone. Uh, is, is he going to have popcorn like inside himself? This sort of like, yeah, yeah it, just, it bursts out the back yes, or something. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys, we've got a job to do. What's the damage, Buzz? Well, it looks like we've got some panels out. We'll have to tilt the ship out the sun's rays while two people go out and fix them. I'll go out, says Woody. Slink, you're coming? Why do I always have to go out? Oh, because you can stretch and you can pull me back if you need to. That's good thinking, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm not really imagining that scene, but with a slinky, like, yeah. a slinky dog. Just like... <laughs> I'm just imagining a slinky spacesuit. Yeah, oh, true, yeah. That's a lot, a lot of, like, give. Like... <laughs> yeah. So Ham says, uh, okay, well, you cowboys are out looking in the mirror. I'm going to go and get my roast on. <laughs> so roast just... like it. Roast or something. <laughs> so he just goes back to the sunroom and, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the fix goes mostly okay, but uh, same as what happens in the film. They have to tilt the ship and the antenna from the back reflects into the into the garden mm-hmm. sets the garden on fire nobody's there watching but they all know that it's happened that it's happened and uh who did we say was the botanist well mrs potato head mrs potato head okay well she runs back to the garden and she has that exact same shot <laughs> fire all around her and she's just <gasps> and, and maybe like her, her, her back opens and like yeah. her gardening tools fall out i don't know <laughs> I, would, I like that a lot. I like the idea of that shot, but just a back, a back shot of Mrs. Potato Head. Just yeah. Like, no! <laughs> With her voices. Oh, 
I'm, I'm, yeah, good casting. Good casting. <laughs> I really like this. I'm really on board with this. Good, good. <laughs> so they decide to to realign the ship. Okay. Um, just immediately before there's any more damage, and they say, right, okay, you got you got to risk your life. You got to come in, but this is more important than than getting you back in. So do what you can. And they, Woody's just finishing the the final thing on the on the last panel. Mm-hmm. And the sun is coming like it's right there, and he's like, okay, slink, pull me in, pull me in. And he does it. They manage it. They all, they all survive. Nobody dies. Nobody dies. Okay, fine. Which is good. Spoiler alert, they're not going to get picked off one by one. That would be a bit too sad, I think, for Toy Story. You say that, but... <laughs> <laughs> We've all seen Toy Story 3. Oh, man. So, yeah, then they come back in through the airlock and they all go back to the bridge uh, for a briefing. Buzz and Woody have a, have a conversation about what they should do and they decide that, well, there's now not enough air for them to get home. So they're going to have to go and find Icarus 1. They don't have a choice. They're going to have to do that. So okay. same as the first one. Okay, cool. Because toys need to breathe. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> hey, in the first Toy Story, when Buzz has his helmet taken down, he suffocates for a little bit, doesn't he? True, true, true. And I guess if they're... I'm guessing this is all just Andy playing at the end yeah, of the day. So yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah, fair enough. It's just following the internal logic. So yeah. yeah. Although I do like the idea of them actually being toys. I'm spit, like when they're um, operating the Planet Pizza van. Oh, yeah. And... And everything's really big and they're really yeah. small. <laughs> I do quite like the idea of just them on a spaceship doing this. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, we should pitch this to Pixar. Yeah, this would be good. Have they actually put Toy Story 4 into production yet? Yeah, it's coming out next year. Oh, no. Well, maybe Toy Story 5. Maybe. Do you know, it'll have been nine years since Toy Story 3. Yeesh. That's a long time. It is a long time, yeah. I really felt like that was a recent film. Well, get used to it. Yeah. That That's what happens when you get older. Everything mm. suddenly feels like it was five minutes ago. Like, I'm not getting old. Old air, I said. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so they decide the only chance they've got to get back home is to rendezvous with Icarus 1 and use their life support module, assuming that's intact. Okay. So remember, really... that, remember that the ship can separate in two. Yes. Yeah. So that's exactly what they do. They make it, they dock, Buzz, Woody, and who else? Should go on board three people. Oh, so you need the three people who are going to go to. Uh, so, okay, Buzz. You know what? Probably Slink. Probably, yeah, Slink seems like take, take Slink again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll leave the potatoes and the. T- well, you don't want to send Rex, he's useless, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, leave Rex and the potato heads together on the ship. And yeah. Cool. So there's seemingly nobody on board, but they, they go and have a look around. Buzz activates the computer while Slink goes and checks on the on the garden. Well, who's the voice of the computer? Oh, um... Well, there's an obvious choice if you're not gonna, if you're not used doing something else. Um, well, I've forgotten her name, though. Bo Peep. Oh, no. What What's... are you thinking of? Joan Cusack. Joan Cusack. Oh, Jesse. Mm. That could work. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I think I like Bo Peep. Sure. She's got more of that sexy voice. Like, Jesse was more, like, whiny. I suppose. Then, then then Woody could just be caught, like, talking to the computer. Oh, hi, computer. How are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like it. Good. Ow! Oh, hi, Bo. Hi. I wanted to thank you, Woody, for saving my flock. Oh, hey, it was, uh, nothing. What do you say I get someone else to watch the sheep tonight? <laughs> oh, yeah. So the computer has the voice of Bo Peep. Yes. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, so Buzz activates the computer while Slink goes and checks on the on the garden. Woody goes to check on the core of the of the ship to make sure that that's intact because mm-hmm. you know, want to have two cores if they can. And so essentially, Woody and Buzz, as they do in Sunshine, they both find out that there is somebody else on board. I'm very excited. Yeah, and Buzz finds out. We we see Buzz looking at the screen, but we don't see the screen. We just see his face go. Oh, it can't be. <laughs> And Woody goes to the Sunshine Room and sees just a silhouette right. of somebody. But we, can't, we can't see who it is. I am genuinely on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Woody says, who are you? 
And this person just goes, Destroy Buzz Lightyear! Destroy Buzz Lightyear! It's Emperor Zerg. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and so Woody runs away. He can run faster than Zerg, so just on yeah. wheels. Mm-hmm. What so, did Zerg look like again? Was he like... Sort of purple pur- and yeah. sort of a bit Darth Vader-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Woody gets to Buzz first and says, Buzz, Buzz, what should we do? And Buzz says, well, we can't kill him. He's too strong. We'll have to we'll have to trick him. Uh, but how can we do that? So they have a think for a bit and Buzz whispers in Woody's ear and, and he's like, okay, I don't want to do that, but yeah, sure. And so Woody runs to the garden to go and get Slink and just says, Slink, we got to go now. we got to go. In the meantime, Buzz runs to to the front of the ship to where the, to where the bomb is so Zerg is obviously chasing Buzz Lightyear he only cares about destroying Buzz Lightyear yeah uh, in the meantime Woody and Slink go to the the bridge mm-hmm. and watch on the CCTV as Buzz enters that module of the ship as soon as he does they initiate the separation process ah there's a 30 second countdown which like come on Buzz come on Buzz you can do it you can do it and there's a countdown going it's five seconds left come on come on they see him run down a corridor he was close behind him but like enough space he's running for it he's running for it and the door closes and he's not made it <gasps> okay and the ships separate oh no and the front and the front of the ship shoots off to, towards the sun mm-hmm. and they all watch just like with tears streaming down do they cry I think in this situation. Okay, sure. Uh, and they watch. We see both ships watching mm-hmm. as this part of the ship just shoots off towards the sun, gets smaller and smaller, and eventually breaks up and disappears. Oh no! And so this is bleaker than Toy Story Three. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And so they, uh, well, they, they they swap over the ships. They 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 take the one with the actual the garden that's still alive, and they take their their bomb, and they're just like, right, well, we've got to we've got to carry on. The, the whole planet's depending on us. Oh, so that bomb didn't fire into the sun, it just attached. The yeah, one, the it, one it, containing it, Buzz Lightyear. Yes, it just attached and fell into the sun, didn't detonate or anything, because oh, okay. there was nobody there to program it to detonate. Right, I see. Okay. It was just an emergency separation. Okay, oh, so Buzz died in vain. Mm. Oh, it's even worse. So, yeah, they, uh, they they have to carry on with the mission, mm-hmm. which they do. They get towards the sun, they, they set the separation up and with the, the proper countdown for the thing to actually go in and detonate, which all happens flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, they they move away in time so their ship isn't destroyed or anything and they go there and then they're just all just looking into the sun as it reignites and mm-hmm. it comes back to its former glory and they're just looking into the sun and Woody says I'm not going to leave yet I just want to say something and just as he's about to start talking there's a knock on the window <laughs> and it's Buzz obviously oh, and he's, oh, he's just put his helmet on oh thank god because he's got a helmet built in hasn't he of course so he just flies to them so he just flies back with a little jetpack on his back. Ah. And they all have a big hug. And they go home. Aww. That's really good. That's a, that's a film I would watch. I think <laughs> of all the sequels you've ever done, that is the one I would most like to see. So that was well. really that, good, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> I say so myself. Yeah, no, that was great. I would love to see I would love to see a Sunshine Toy Story crossover. Yeah. I think most films would work really well if they were just Toy Story. Yeah. Like, especially like really dark films like this. Yeah. There should be more Toy Story. Definitely. Mm. Although not too much. <laughs> like, only if they're really good. Sure. I don't yeah. want to like, yeah, I'm, I'm worried for Toy Story 4. Mm. I think it might be. Well, we were all worried, worried for Toy Story 3, but look how that turned out. True, 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 true. But that, yeah, well, different conversation. But yes, yeah. very. Uh, cool, okay, very good. Is it going to end with a, um, what's his face? Randy Newman. Randy Newman's song. Like, got to be. Yeah. What would he be singing? Maybe Randy Newman covering Rocket Man by Elton John. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't yes. know what that would sound like. No, me neither. <laughs> all right, move on. 
Okay, so listener submissions then. So first off from Ray Reviews at mm-hmm. Ray Reviews 1. Yeah. This sequel is called Moonlight. And this is part of a trilogy of movies about what not to blame things on according to the Jackson 5. <laughs> Sorry, I guess yep. the third one's called Boogie. But... Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Dad Zone at Dad Zone Cast. So with the sun now reignited, Earth returns to normal, except suddenly a strange bout of unexplained deaths starts to happen mm-hmm. with people dying violently in their sleep. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, Pinbacker has found a new way to... Um, take his revenge on humanity. Mm. And so Mark Strong stars in Sunshine 2, Pinbacker's New Nightmare. Mm. So that kind of ties in with your idea, which of it being basically a nightmare on Elm Street. Which it, yeah, yeah. Which it is, yeah. We Watch Anything. At We Watch Anything. Little Mix Sunshine. Oh, no. I know, yeah. A ragtag family group trek across the galaxy to get four girls to a talent show. Uh, after various scrapes... Please what, tell me they all die at the end. Please tell me they all die at the end. Well, you, you're on the same page. It's, mm, good, uh, yeah, good. I, after various scrapes, including a sob story with a dead relative in a spacesuit, mm-hmm. they end up firing Little Mix into the sun oh, in a win for humanity. Beautiful. What do you go against Little Mix? They're a what? great pop band. Oh, no. They're on the radio all the goddamn time. I hate them. In the grand scheme of people who are on the radio all the time, though, at least they're a bit... Fun and all bees. No. Rather than Sheeran. No. No. Just a touch of No. Just a no. touch. No. No. Fine. Blokebusters. Mm. At Blokebusters. There's is short and simple this week. It's called Moonshine. And it's like the TV show Firefly, but basically the crew of Icarus 2 are running illegal alcohol between two moons. So it's like a gangster thing. <laughs> the same, same cast, but rather than Jennings of the Sun, they're basically running an illegal alcohol operation mm-hmm. with lots of gangster aliens and run-ins and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of good character. Yeah, I can watch that. Yeah. And finally, Geeky Brummy, at Geeky Brummy. They've gone with Nunshine. Mm-hmm. And that is a new religion begins on Earth based around Kappa's sister. Because, you know, the, the last scene we see Cillian Murphy's sister oh, yeah. sees the sun and she sees... So mm-hmm. the idea is that she's the closest living relative to the man who saved humanity. Mm-hmm. So she becomes basically a goddess on Earth and everyone starts worshipping her. Mm-hmm. And it's just about how she tries to like avoid that and like live up to it, essentially, so... It's an interesting idea. Yeah. yeah. So sounds, cool. sounds like the sort of thing that you would do, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was disappointed I didn't think of that. That's a good one. Yeah, very good. Thanks a lot for those guys. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you have a sequel idea for Sunshine that you'd like to share with us, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com or you can search us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Just look for Beyond the Box Set. Mm-hmm. Also, if you enjoy the show, hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. And if you really like us, leave us a review. It really helps us out. And, yeah. That's I think that's all the plugging we need to do. Oh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, Player FM, Pocket Cast, Overcast, yeah. and more. Come on, John, so, tell me what's next week. Okay, cool. So I'm very excited for this. Mm-hmm. So we've got Halloween's just around the corner. So we're okay. going to do a little run of Halloween themed movies. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to kick that off with a movie called The Witches of Eastwick. Uh, okay. Do you know it? Nope. I've okay. Heard of it. Yeah, it's a very famous one. All I will say is I'm really looking forward to the drinking games for this one. Okay. It's going to be a good one. I'm very excited. <laughs> Sounds like you've got some in your mind already. Oh, yeah. You, well, I hope you like this. I can't really say with you sometimes, but I've, 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 I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh-huh. I'm very, it's been on my list for a while. This, the time was right. Is this one I need to watch with the lights off or can I do my ironing at the same time? I think you're safe to iron. Although I would, I would encourage you to... Be paying attention. Uh-huh. I'd encourage you oh, to have I, a... I still do when I'm ironing. Yeah, I'd encourage you to have a beer to hand. But yeah, it's not a horror movie. Okay. It's not going to frighten you. Okay. Well, it may frighten but no, it's not going to. You don't need to, you're not going to scare yourself, mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah. Can't wait. So next sure. week, the witch, tune in next week for The Witches of Eastwick. Okay. Start of our Halloween season. Mm-hmm. Lovely. 
All right, everyone. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.